0: with the Defend Your Ground podcast. This is episode 15. I'm Simone Griffin, the policy director for Blue Ribbon Coalition, and I'm here with Ben, our executive director.
1: Hey everyone.
0: And we are going to just get into get into it tonight and we're going to talk about OSV use, snowmobiling use um, across some different plans, across some different forests and areas that we're seeing and and what Blue Ribbon is doing and how we're getting involved and how you all can get involved and kind of what you need to know about um, about that use. And if you're a snowmobiler, this is important. And even if you're not a snowmobiler, all of this sets a precedent for other motorized use and other just recreational use that we'll see some of these aspects that we find in this in these planning processes, will then they'll be rolled out into other plans. And so it, it affects everybody eventually. Uh, but we want to start out talking about the Inyo National Forest and what we're doing there and how we're how we're being involved so lots of times you'll hear us talk about a planning process and it with NEPA and that always starts out with scoping and that's the public comment process. People submit comments, and the first part is scoping to just kind of get a broad idea of what the public wants. Well, what's happening with the Inyo National Forest is really interesting, and and we're really excited about it, is they're not to the scoping process yet. They have not officially started uh, this public comment process. So this is before all the official planning is happening. And we have been invited, we've been recognized as an important stakeholder in in this planning process, and we've been invited to attend meetings, kind of pre-planning meetings. And so we're, we have a seat at the table, which is a huge win, I would say, wouldn't you, Ben, for Blue Ribbon and for snowmobile use across national forests?
1: Yeah, and so this process started. They're planning to do four kind of in-person slash virtual meetings. I went to the first one that was in-person in Mammoth Lakes. And we were there with, like, uh, several other snowmobile groups, like our partners at the Sierra Snowmobile Foundation, uh, that's a group we're actually um, a partner with on litigation to challenge the snowmobile plan that was decided in the Stanislaus National Forest. And so they're there. Um, A lot of the locals that live around that Mammoth Lakes area are Bishop, California. You're on the eastern side of the Sierra uh, Sierra Mountains there. Um, But then you have the groups like the Winter Wildlands Alliance. Uh, They're the one who's really pushed for the restrictions on the snowmobiling in many cases. And then you have Friends of the Inyo, which is um, kind of a broader interested environmental group you have a lot of service forest service people there were a lot of folks there from like the county government yeah, and city, city government.
0: governments yeah and so city everybody's kind of just coming
1: together and together looking at maps talking about certain areas and what's where and with Inyo you kind of have the situation where a lot of this is already wilderness kind of a common theme we run into with other plans. A lot of it isn't at the right elevation to where you get a lot of snowmobiling. So the actual areas open to snowmobiling are pretty limited to begin with. And so this is one of those where we're just fighting to keep the little that's left in this area open. And Mammoth Lakes obviously has a huge draw of winter recreation of all kinds, and that's of going to be what the other side will say is that there's so many other recreation users there needs to be a balance here and uh, this is actually what i experience when i go to like we've we've been to snowmobile shows like i went to the denver snow show a few weeks ago Um, we sent chelsea our marketing director to the salt lake snow show Uh, one of us will be going to boise in a couple weeks so i go talk with a lot of snowmobilers and most of the folks i talk to it's There isn't a person that just all they do is snowmobiling when it comes to winter recreation. Um, Snowmobiling is an additive use that they do in addition to the other forms of winter recreation. Usually we're talking snowboarding or backcountry skiing or something like that. A lot of these backcountry users will use a snowmobile to go access other backcountry areas where they can do the downhill snow sports or even Nordic snow sports and so again so we're seeing this situation that shows up a lot in planning where the planners assume that there are these divisions between the different groups and that one group wants things a certain way than the other group and the reality is most of us that recreate outdoors are part of like 10 different outdoor recreation groups not one or the other and but you still have those who will come and use kind of a orthodox or a purity culture way of looking at this, that, that you can't have an enjoyable human powered backcountry experience in the winter if there's snowmobile noise or something nearby. And I just think, I mean, this is the same issue we've run into with the Moab plan and others. And I just think that people that really care about that are really minimal and they're really exploiting this, for political reasons not because there's really these impacts that need to be mitigated but so that's my take on what's going on with inyo um but now you've been to some of this the uh the meetings too simone and i know a lot of this is what they call kind of like a pre-planning meeting everybody wants to talk a little bit about things in a open discussion and whatnot so I don't I don't want to compromise that, but we just want people to know that we're participating in that. But based on what we've seen in other plans, Simone, why don't you give us a rundown? Um, what the the folks know that listen to this podcast. I mean, we've probably done six, seven, or eight snowmobile plans in the last year. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, and we there's a common theme through most of them with proposals and with some concerns that we we generally bring up when we are looking at these plans so one is snow depth requirements and we see that across the board they're usually trying to implement some type of snow depth requirement and when it comes down to it snowmobilers know their machines and they're not going to risk ruining their very expensive snowmobile if there's not enough snow and they know probably better than anybody what is appropriate for for their machine and so snow depth requirements is one thing that we see and there's just so many variables to that I mean what area there could be a certain amount of inches and then five feet away there could be half that of um there could be five inches and the other area could have 10 inches I mean there's just so many variables that I think that's not a good measuring stick um and we we do bring up that concern. Another concern that we usually see is they cite user conflict, claiming that there's all these conflicts between users. And usually we don't find that there truly is, at least no documented uh, user conflicts that that we can find. And what the Forest Service should be doing is managing use uh, conflict between uses and not conflict between users and so there's ways to mitigate that without restricting one user group i mean i don't think that's going to help any type of user conflict by just saying hey snowmobilers you can't be here
1: yeah and especially in an area like the inyo but we see this in just about any national forest where a lot of times the mitigation's already in place there's already going to be if hundreds of thousands if not millions of acres of wilderness nearby that if those who want a backcountry, quiet, human-powered experience, want to go into the wilderness, there's plenty of it out there for them to go into. Um, the snowmobile areas tend to be more accessible because you have to be able to get to at least a trailhead or something with a truck and a trailer of some kind or a bed, a flatbed or the little things you put on the back of your truck, I forget exactly what they're called, but where you can kind of pull your snowmobile up on top of the elevated platform you still have to be able to get there. and So, I mean, they're kind of accessible. Um, We've seen, this is one of those where, as I've talked to some of the locals in these areas, they're worried about the snowmobile staging areas kind of getting fully occupied by our dispersed camping friends. The folks living out of vans or overlanding vehicles will go camp in these areas that are like the staging areas for the snowmobiles. And so that's a conflict of use, um, and so that's manageable. You could say there's no overnight camping in something that's a staging area. But my argument would be, if there's people that want to camp in the forest and they're camping in the snowmobile staging areas, and that's the only place left to camp, then maybe you need to think about allowing more camping in other areas. And that's the forest services challenge with things like this. It's not to restrict one user group or another, but it's to say, what use makes the most sense in this area. And if we're displacing another user, let's make sure that that user still has a comparable experience somewhere else that they can access. And that there is no net loss of access to any user group. And I believe there's enough public land out there to accommodate everybody, even with a recent surge in outdoor recreation interest. Uh, It sure is going to take a lot of creativity and willingness to actually support and manage towards recreation access versus the hard-coded response that tends to be, we're going to just shut this all down and pick a few user groups that we're really going to give preferential treatment to, Um, that's a mindset that is going to have to come to an end at some point, whether that's done through voluntary planning action administratively through the Forest Service and the BLM, or because enough recreation users get upset about what's happening that they demand political change in the law, I, I just don't think it's sustainable. This consistent, constant close, close, close every time they get faced with a problem, and so. Well, anyway, it's something so that's,
0: that's been interesting for me to learn is. You know other organizations who are advocating for more restrictions for motorized use and snowmobile use is they'll say motorized users are such a small percentage compared to your backpackers your hikers your non-motorized users but yet they take up so much more room because they've got trucks and trailers and why should we be giving them all this space when they're such a small percentage and you know there's the I think about that several different ways, but just because you choose to enjoy public lands differently than somebody else doesn't mean you should be restricted. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of these snowmobilers are maybe older and that's how they can access the forest is they need motorized use. And that's something that we do always bring up um, in these planning processes is, you know, those with physical limitations and the need for some type of motorized element in order to access these areas. And they shouldn't be restricted just because it does maybe take up a little bit more room on the trailhead initially.
1: Yeah. And this, I mean, these, these landscapes are so vast and mostly empty. We can have some trailheads. It's not going to be the end of the world. It's the only infrastructure we build anymore. We don't build serious infrastructure in this country, but we can, the one thing that we are at least allowed to build still is a trailhead and so if that's the concern then good grief Um, just
0: get some more trailheads
1: yeah that should be doable Um, so we've talked about snow depth The one thing that kind of caught my eye in the Stanislaus plan is there's also wildlife concerns that we know that they actually studied this in Yellowstone Blue Ribbon Coalition has been they were a leader in the fight um, to keep yellowstone open to a limited form of access on snowmobiles and as part of the deal that got cut to allow limited snowmobiling into yellowstone they had to study by law they were required by law to study the impact on the snowmobiles to the wildlife in yellowstone which is like the wildlife mecca of north america and after years of studying this, they kind of concluded that really the snowmobiles don't have an impact on the wildlife. They get used to it, and they didn't kind of... they
0: end the study early even because it showed that yeah, there it just was wasn't no showing them impact anything. That it was just kind of a waste of money.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And so, I mean, they're just according to the National Park Service, the impacts are really minimal. Um, we're still seeing in Stanislaus that there are concerns about frogs believe it or not um, they say the snowmobiles are running over frogs um, and I sh- I haven't I mean I'd like to see the evidence of it um, I have heard that the frogs do come out in the spring and lay their eggs on the snowbanks, banks and then those eggs melt down in or the snow melts down into the pond and the eggs so maybe that's true but that seems like it's super manageable then if there's going to be a very limited window when these frogs are actually out breeding and coming out of hibernation, the likelihood that there's overlap between the snowmobile season and that behavior by the frogs seems minimal. And it's probably isolated to some very specific locations. But in Stanislaus, that meant they closed 500,000 acres of the forest. Um, And so I just, it's, The wildlife concerns, I like seeing wildlife when I'm out in the wild. I like wildlife as much as anybody. I think that it sometimes gets used as a politically opportunistic tool to close things and shut down the behavior and access of a disfavored group more than it is based on a real impact to the wildlife. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with these snowmobile plans, but the wildlife protection laws tend to be strong enough that if they want to challenge those they have good legal grounding to do it I don't think their scientific grounding is as strong and so that's where we've had to dig into the science of that I know some of that will probably be scrutinized in the legal action we're in um, that's where I know a lot of the folks that are wildlife experts I know that the there's a group called ample in wyoming and their executive director has a background in wildlife biology i think we need more folks like that to step up and share their expertise and opinion on wildlife issues so that we can get some science out there that confirms what we found in yellowstone which is that these activities and these behaviors generally don't cause what i would, what what is the serious actual concern with the endangered species act, which is a taking, which means there's actually a dead animal somewhere out there because of a snowmobile and they usually have to kind of create this weird cause chain and this chain of cause and effect that gets them there to where they say that this behavior creates that impact. And so anyway, so we're always concerned about the wildlife. so we've talked I mean, obviously we know Inyo's coming. We want everybody to watch out for that. There will be a NEPA process for that coming up in the in in re in months that are coming soon. We don't know the exact timeline. Um uh, probably next spring or late winter. We've got a few more in the works though, Simone. I, I believe we got a notice from the Gmug Forest in Colorado.
0: Yeah, uh, so we're in the middle of that. but we already submitted comments for that last year and and like we've said these I mean these comment periods are you know 30 60 90 days but the overall process takes years so
1: but they said that they'll be releasing that one in the spring and we commented on Mantella Sal about the same time and then shortly thereafter there was Ashley so I bet we see action on those anytime probably in the next six months yeah um we just started the process with the knixoo forest up in idaho mm-hmm. um, i know we've looked at some in montana
0: wyoming Miami, yeah oregon
1: yep. and so we just wanted to give everybody an update on that with we, start we've been going to the snowmobile shows we're starting to see a lot more of these plans coming out we've our at least my Facebook feed and Instagram feed have started to show a lot more snowmobiling activity we're getting we have a winter storm coming in tomorrow um, from what I can tell in the forecast so it's starting to be on people's mind we just want to remind people that this is one of the serious issues we focus on at BRC we've been doing it since the since the beginning we have won some big fights with this one we want to keep our presence strong on the snowmobile issues. And one of the ways we're doing that is we have a sweepstakes. Uh, Simone, why don't you tell them a little bit about what we've got coming up? All it's currently out there. You can enter right now, a trip to win. Why don't you tell them what we
0: got? Speaking of Yellowstone, we have a trip to Yellowstone. Uh, We were instrumental in getting snowmobile access in Yellowstone National Park. So this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I feel like. Um, It's probably on a lot of people's bucket lists. If it's not, it probably should be on your bucket list. But you can become a member of BRC. You can get entries into this sweepstakes to win a trip to go snowmobiling in Yellowstone, which would be awesome.
1: Yeah, and so the tickets into Yellowstone on a snowmobile are limited. So they give some to the guided tours, which is what this package would include. Um, so even if you don't own a snowmobile, you don't own any of the gear or the outfits if you've or never helmets been snowmobiling. Or whatever, they'll have all that stuff provided. You can show up with no experience whatsoever, and you'll go get to experience snowmobiling in one of the best destinations on the planet for it. This is the um, way to
0: experience Yellowstone, I feel like. You yeah. don't have the crowds on a snowmobile. You can still see all the wildlife, and it's it's going to be a really cool opportunity for whoever wins. Yeah, I'd
1: see all the geysers and glaciers in the winter with just as a different experience. And there are tickets you can get at the general public. There's a lottery where you could go into Yellowstone with your own snowmobile, uh, but those always get over-allocated. There's way more demand than, for those than what is currently available through the lottery system and so this is a guaranteed way you get into the park and our sweepstakes includes a cash stipend to cover any travel costs to get to yellowstone Uh, there's a a four night stay at a lodge um, in west yellowstone montana and and then it just covers the day activities you'll have some of your meals covered um, if the the stipend should also cover any additional meals or incidental expenses and so we have all the details on it on a sweepstakes page we'll put that in the comments down below but we want everybody to learn to love snowmobiling it is one of the greatest power sports activities out there if you've never done it you need to give it a try Um, this is a good way to get your foot in the door see what it's all about and have it paid for and uh, and if you help, uh, the entries you get entries by donating. The donations will use for our legal fund, which we're currently in uh, litigation to protect snowmobiling in California. And even if you never have any plans to ever go to the Stanislaus National Forest in California, we don't care. Um, the things Because that, are...
0: that is setting a precedent for forests like Inyo and, and other forests across the nation that we're Shoshone, seeing.
1: Shoshone, Jima, Manila, Sat. Like the ones we're we're seeing the same issues pop Flathead. up, the same groups showing up, and so we want to have a strong presence in court. We want to um, we want to have the funding and the resources we need so that we can go the distance on these other plans if that becomes necessary, and so building a community and building a movement around protecting stem access is something we think is worth doing. And this is one of the best ways you could do it is go make a generous contribution to VRC. You'll get entries to win the vacation package and, uh, and you'll get to see what stoma billing is all about. So I think that's all we've got for today. If you haven't yet subscribed to the defend your ground podcast, we invite you to do that. Uh, help share this get people listening to it we the more people that know about these issues and get engaged the stronger we'll be as a movement and as a group that's fighting to protect your outdoor recreation adventures so go ahead and subscribe share what we're doing and
0: we said last week that we'd be talking about Logandale on this episode but we'll be talking about Logandale. Nevada trails next week. So be ready for that.
1: Yep, there's still time on that one. And we wanted to see if we couldn't get some information on the ground there where we have some things in the works. And if that comes together, we wanted to have that in place before the podcast. So we definitely will update, give everybody a good update on Logan Dell. And there is currently an action alert out right now on our website. If you want to go research that on your own and comment now, no one's stopping you. Um, but we were wanting to get a little bit more of our own ground truthing and information um, prior to the podcast, so that